0: Created live on Fireside.
1: Welcome. I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you can be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. I am your host, Lori Lee at Binstock. Everyone has an opportunity to ask me or our guest questions by requesting to hop on stage or sending a message in the chat box. Today's guest is author Yvonne. Sandomir, and Yvonne is the author of the recently released memoir, The Invisible Girl. She is a certified mindfulness coach with more than six years of psychotherapy under her belt. Yvonne, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Hi, Laura Lee. It's an absolute pleasure and honor. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, I mean, your memoir, The Invisible Girl, you share your personal story as a trauma survivor. What, can you talk a little bit about your story and your purpose in writing your book?
0: Absolutely. I am a survivor of childhood trauma. And the core reason for writing my book is because it's, just, it's not just my story. It millions of other people. Uh, there are currently 42 million survivors of child sexual abuse in the, the United States alone. And so I really hope my story will help victims who haven't yet come forward, as well as aid in preventing child sexual abuse altogether through awareness and education. Um, Because right now, one in three girls and one in five boys will be abused before their 18th birthday. Mm. So So, the,
1: the numbers are startling.
0: It really is. The numbers are very startling. So my goal is to provide information, education, and awareness to not only survivors, but anyone who knows and loves a survivor. Because a lot of what I've talked about is how to support, how you can support someone who is in your life. And it it does take a village to heal from deep childhood trauma.
1: Right. And you said it's, it's, a lot of people's story. It's my story. I was um, sh- sexually abused um, by my father, which, you know, mm. I talk about this a lot. It's really hard when someone you trust, or the only, probably, you know, the person who is the only person who's there so, that you are, ex- who's expected to take care of you, abuse you,
0: I you mean, know, that can and do that a lot is- to you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And let me just tell you, and that is why we have to get information out there because stranger danger no longer applies. Uh, 90% of the time a child is assaulted, it's by someone they know, love and trust. So this is people that the, the people that you think you can trust the most with your children are the same people who are most likely to harm your child. We're Mm -hmm. talking coaches, we're talking teachers, we're talking um, clergy members, we're talking uh, members of churches, everybody that you think, oh, I go to the same church as them, you know, that's their coach or that's their teacher. These are the very people that we have to be the most aware of when our children are around them.
1: Right. I mean, well, that's a thing, though. What do you do? And I think this is what's great is that we're talking about this now, being people that we know, so people can be more aware of it. Um, but f- for instance, for me, you know, it was a relative. It was literally the only person that other people thought I could trust. Um right. And and that can be really tricky for for a child who is being abused by a family member, um, or like you said, a someone that the family trusts like clergy.
0: Right. Right. And you know, and that's why I say that prevention really starts within the home. And it's so important that people understand that it's not just strangers. It's the people that you think you can trust. And that's why I it's so important that I I advocate that parents not force their children to hug family members, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not to force them to show affection to anyone because that's where it starts. That's where that child just learned that it doesn't matter how I feel. I have to do whatever this adult wants because if I don't, I'm going to be considered rude or get in trouble for, for not showing affection and because the family's incest is so prevalent. Mm-hmm. It's so prevalent. And that's why it's so important to start within your home, within your own family, giving children the permission to decide who they want to show affection to and who they don't. Because they need to know that it's their body and they have control over who touches their body. And if we tell the kids, I mean, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times when I was a kid we'd go to family functions and um, you know, one of my uncles molested me and mm-hmm. he would be there and he would want to give me a hug or approach me and I would really try to avoid him and you know my family would be, oh don't be rude Eve, you got to go in and, and, and say hi to your uncle, don't be rude. And so you instill that in these kids' heads that they're being rude for speaking their voice.
1: Right. I like to think that at least the people I know now in my life, um, you know, the mother, my, the mothers I am friends with, they don't force their their their, their, ch- their children to hug if they don't want to. You know, sometimes it's just a high five or you know whatever the child chooses. But right. there's still those that generation of people who are like you hug your parent, your grandparents, or your, your uncle or your aunt, or anyone who is trying to be nice and give you a hug. And sometimes they can make other parents feel guilty about it. How do we get over
0: that? Well, that's just, that's breaking the cycle. Mm. It's, it's saying, I don't want for my own family, what I had. It's for me, Fortunately, I was able to really learn from everything that I've been through and really be mindful of how to protect my girls and how to keep them safe. And something that, you know, I want to make sure that parents know, as I've heard this, oh, you know, I don't have to worry about my child. You know, we have a good job. We live in a good neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, they go to a good school. It's important that people understand that every single child is at risk of being a victim of child sexual abuse and incest. Um, it exists at every socioeconomic level, across ethnic and cultural lines, within all religions and at all levels of education. No child is immune to it. So if you've been a victim yourself, the best way for me that I found how to break generational cycles is through therapy because through therapy, I was able to become aware of things that, you know, how when you're in a situation, things are so much clearer when you're outside looking in. Mm -hmm. And so what therapy allowed me to do was to take myself out of being an adult and say, okay, what did I, what happened to me as a child that I don't want to repeat? And for me, it was not leaving my kids with strangers. For me, it was they stayed with me. I supervised them. I took care of them. I protected them. And it just takes finding the courage to know that you can break that cycle. Everyone can break that cycle. But also, everyone needs help. No one can do this alone. And that's why I advocate therapy so much because it's because of therapy that I am where I am. I couldn't have achieved this level of success, this level of awareness, this level of psychological intelligence and emotional intelligence that I've gained had I not gone through therapy. And so it's identifying the cycles and then so, working with your therapist to not repeat it.
1: Absolutely. So you were able to seek out therapy. Was yes. where when was it? Because you were abused as a child. When did you muscle up that energy that that courage to tell somebody? Because that I can I mean I I literally didn't tell anybody until 20 something years later and that was right. just in 2 in 2020 and you know this happened to me like t- over 20 something years ago. Mm-hmm. So how did you how were you able to say no this is this is wrong I need to tell somebody?
0: In my situation unfortunately the people that I told didn't respond in appropriate ways. Mm they responded by minimizing, by justifying. And so I endured so much trauma, so many molestations, so many assaults that I eventually stopped telling because I realized that it it didn't do any good. So I kept it to myself all through, gosh, uh, I mean, the first time that I told my mom that I was molested, I think I was seven because I would have been molested at four. And then the next time I told her that I was molested, it had been by my uncle and it was very much minimized. And so after that, when things, when more things started happening, I just kept it to myself um, Mm -hmm. until I was 36 years old. I went through a marriage, divorced, had two amazing kids, an amazing career, And then I met the love of my life that really changed everything for me. My husband is the one who really gave me the space and the courage and the time that I needed to heal. It was him that insisted that I go to therapy. I had been resistant to it for years. Because I was convinced that I could do it on my own, right? I mean, we all think that we can do it on our own, right? I'm strong enough. I can do this. What What are you talking about? Right. But it wasn't until I met my husband and I started to really have flashbacks and terrible nightmares and suicidal ideations and depression, and my husband actually went to the internet, printed out a list of therapists for me and handed me the paper and said, baby, you have got to do this. You have to go to therapy. I'm giving you this list. You have to pick one of these people. And that's how my journey began. My healing journey truly began when my husband said, no, you need to do this. I'm supporting that you do this. And, And that was it. That was the beginning.
1: Wow. It it is really hard because you're right. I honestly, since it happened at such a young age and I was able to kind of move on, you know, finish school, go to college, um, you know, have a career. I, you know, I would have episodes where I would just lash out and I had anger issues, Mm. but I thought, oh, well, you know, that what had happened to me is in the past. So it's fine everything's fine. Um mm-hmm. I'm okay. Obviously I had I there were I guess it was PTSD so you know I had symptoms of PTSD of, of uh, as a sexual abuse survivor which mm-hmm. could mean any anything from you know drug addiction hypersexual activity mm-hmm. you name it right? Yeah, it could be absolutely. any of these things and yeah. I just assumed, you know, I just assumed I was a bad kid. Nobody really talked about PTSD yeah. um for sexual, you know, abuse survivors. That was just not a thing um when I was in the in the 90s or even the early 2000s. But it was it was really really hard and then, you know, luckily enough, you know, I had, you know, the suicidal ideations and the, the difficult relationships. Um but I think that's amazing that you had the support of your husband who said, "This is what you need because honestly, I needed someone to tell me that too. <laughs> because right. it was that was it, that was my husband. he He set me up with, at a treatment center where I was gone for thirty one days. And oh. my goodness, my life now compared to what it was two years ago, is vastly different. So there is healing but I don't think you can find that healing by just figuring it out on your own.
0: Absolutely not. It's just, it's so complex. Mm -hmm. There are so many layers, so many things that emotions and thoughts that are connected to your childhood that you have as an adult that you just don't even realize that it's connected. And so I actually experienced the same thing as you as far as being very angry. I my anger monster is what I call it. Which Mm -hmm. is that didn't come out until I was thirty-six because I had stuffed everything down so deep and I had, you know, I'm always the positive one, always (laughs) laughing, always making everybody else feel good. No one ever thought that anything was wrong with me because I didn't let it show. So when I met my husband and I felt safe and that's when my psyche opened wide open and said, okay, it's time to deal with these things. <laughs> I would lash out with punching and kicking and just, oh, I would, anything that I could do. I mean, I would harm myself. I, I was mm-hmm. just so angry. And one thing I learned through therapy is that whenever I have an intense emotion about something now. I really think about and say, hmm, does this remind me of something that happened to me in my childhood? Because chances are that they're connected and the thing that you think that you're really angry about isn't actually what you're angry about at all. Absolutely. And it's displaced anger from your childhood that your body has to release somehow. And if you don't release it through therapy, you're at risk for depression. You're at risk for substance abuse. You're at risk for promiscuous behavior. You're at risk mm-hmm. for just being in not good situations. You yeah. know, you're, you, you'll you tend to self-sabotage yourself. Yes. You know? uh, I, I am the queen of self-sabotage. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my, my goodness. God. Yes. It's like when my life, seemed like it was at its best. And I'm saying best in air quotes, right? Mm -hmm. I completely would blow it up. That's what happened with my first marriage. Now there were issues within the marriage. Don't get me wrong. And it was a marriage that, that, uh, that should have ended. But, um, I, I think that, um, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought.
1: (laughs) Oh, we just self-sabotaging. No, I completely
0: (laughs) <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And even though that the marriage, you know, had its issues that, um, the self-sabotaging after 10 years, you know, I started having affairs. I started, mm-hmm. you know, stepping out in the relationship. And that was because I was seeking something from these men that I didn't have as a child. I was seeking validation. I was seeking acceptance I was seeking love and in my mind sex equaled love
1: Yeah. and
0: in my marriage we didn't have a very sexual relationship so I completely self-sabotaged and and started having affairs and the marriage ended after 10 years of being together and I still struggle with self-sabotage to this day and in a a hundred percent transparency. Just a month ago, my husband and I were going through an issue of where I was starting to self-sabotage and we had to say, wow, okay. <laughs> this is, mm-hmm. and, and, and interestingly enough, we've been together 10 years this year. Mm-hmm. And so it's a cycle. It's this and pattern. so it's a pattern and you through therapy, you begin to recognize those patterns, right? And you begin to um, identify them and really grab a hold on them because you can't change anything that you don't acknowledge, right? So for me, it was really trying to figure out what these self-sabotage behaviors are and how to stop it from happening. And thanks to therapy, I'm able to do that
1: yeah I think that's i i i myself and and I and you know for the most part this is like kind of textbook symptoms of sex childhood sexual abuse just seeking that validation and especially if you were sexually abused just in your it was like burned in your psyche that lo- sex equals love or that's right. you know it's and and that that was really hard for me to even see to understand um so I, I, I'm I'm happy you brought up of brought up the just recognizing that pattern because recognizing that the patterns are it's just the first thing in trying to break these cycles.
0: that's right.
1: Bad behavior. I mean I don't want to say bad behavior. I'll just say maladaptive behavior yeah, just coping yeah. because you these are you weren't maliciously trying to hurt another person or that's right you know that's you, right needed something there was something there was a void that you needed to fill that you probably didn't know you needed to fill you know the first time it happened around but the, the mm-hmm. fact that you were able to identify it in this pattern your your second husband i'm just i'm amazed because that is an extremely hard thing to do and that's definitely something to be proud of
0: thank you thank you so much i am very proud of that and uh, it, you know and that's why <laughs> We have to talk about how important it is to be vulnerable. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Um, I know for a long time, I, I felt so much guilt, so much shame, so much blame from the decisions that I made as an adult because of things that happened to me as a child. And we have to be compassionate with ourselves and we have to be kind with ourselves and we have to tell ourselves that i wasn't a bad person i was experiencing a normal after effect from very abnormal childhood trauma mm-hmm. and and that's why it's so important that i wanted to be so honest about my mistakes because it's really in examining your 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 own mistakes that you can really understand your part in everything. And you have to understand your part to begin healing.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. That's really well said. Um, and I, I do want to talk about, you know, breaking the generational cycle of abuse. Um, you know, you did talk about, you know, obviously not allowing your, or forcing your children to hug other adults, um, but I did hear you say you know not leaving your children alone with other people. Yes, uh, and I, you know, there was I think it was like on TikTok or something. There, uh, there was this. There's a mom who always talks about you know keeping their children's you know autonomy, trying not forcing them to hug other. People mm-hmm. um, or adults, but she also discussed not allowing her children to stay the night at other people's homes, and yes. I found that interesting because yes, um, and I think and, and I think I may it may be different for me because you know it was just dangerous in my own home, and my dad never allowed me to stay the night at other um, mm. other children's homes. So I'm just curious. So where you stand with that and. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit
0: more. Oh, sure. Uh, I absolutely did not allow my children just to sleep over um, unless uh, it was people that I really knew and really mm-hmm. trusted. Um, and for me, because I had no supervision, and so many things happened to me at sleepovers at you know when I was at other people's houses, I was just so much more aware of that. And so I absolutely did not allow them to sleep over unless I knew the family very well. Um, I will still to this day, will not allow my girls to um, have a sleepover with um, one of their friends that's staying at their dad's house alone. If the Mm -hmm. parents are separated, Um, I don't allow it. Um, And the thing is, that's how you prevent it. You prevent mm-hmm. it by not allowing these things to occur. You prevent it by not putting your children in situations where it could happen because you never know. And that's why it's so important that we know what the grooming red flags are for, for perpetrators. So we can kind of test the people in our lives to kind of see, okay, who's who's a little bit more trustworthy than the others? And we really have to pay attention to that. And it doesn't matter how well you know someone um, and how much you think that you can trust them, all perpetrators have shared behaviors that they display. And so as far as having, allowing them to be with their friends, it would be in group scenarios. I would allow group sleepovers or I would invite them to sleepover at my house And that way my kid wasn't, you know, deprived of having that time with their friends. They just did it at our house and we made it fun. And, you know, and that's another way to prevent it is by keeping the sleepovers and things in your own home.
1: Mm. Yes, I think that. You know, I, I do let my daughter um, stay the night with her friend. She's, she's seven, but we, we're also really good friends with, you know, um, the parents. I think she's only had to sleep over at their house and then um, at um, their cousin's house. Um, so that being said, what do we look out for? Because, I mean, a lot of people don't know if, you know, even group settings can be could potentially be dangerous as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why we have to look out for these things. So the thing to know about predators is that they're very manipulative. They're sly. The first thing that a predator will do to gain access to their victim is to gain the trust of the parents. So if you have... A friend who is just, they're trying really, really hard to convince you that you can trust them. Um, Someone who jumps at every opportunity to um, volunteer to to do things with the kids alone. If they're Mm -hmm. not going to be any other parents around. If they're, they just are just so interested in being around the kids. People who tend to... Enjoy the company of kids more than they do adults is also a huge red flag because that is a technique that they use to gain the trust of the child. They find shared interests such as music, such as uh, gaming or whatever, and they use those shared experiences to have a reason, quote unquote to be with your child, to spend time with your child, and it can eventually lead to asking to be alone with that child and etc. So you wanna look out for any adult who is really trying to be a confidant for your child, because that should only be the parents or a therapist. Um, any other adult outside of the family or that support system. Um, They shouldn't be a confidant to your child because that's their way of manipulating the child by saying, I get you. I know what you're going through. I understand you. And it's their way of eventually convincing the kid that they know them better than even their parents do. Mm. And that causes a wedge. So, Anytime you have someone who's wanting to spend a lot of time with your child doing activities such as that, be aware. Anytime an adult wants to be alone with your child, such as sleepovers, camping, that is an immediate red flag. <laughs> there is no reason for an adult to want to have your Child alone. No reason. And you have to understand that if a perpetrator gets their child, that victim alone, it is almost guaranteed that that child is going to be victimized. Oh, so we cannot allow our children to be alone with people. Things such as These people may, um, they may try to isolate the kids, get them alone. And this is like when you pay attention to um, group settings, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have an adult in a group setting who pays particularly close attention to a child, whether, especially if it's not their own child, you know, they may do things such as really cater to the kid's needs. You might notice them, you know, uh, a story that was my, a family member recently told me is that a friend of hers, um, that there was this person who was around her friend's child who, whenever he was around, he would just follow this kid around and tie a shoe. Anytime it's shoe came untied, he would run over there and tie a shoe. And they thought, well, that's weird. Why the parents should tie the kid's shoes? And it turns out that that person was victimizing that child. So behavior such as that, you know, they're really concerned about the child paying a lot of attention if they're staring at a particular child. They don't have to say anything. If you notice someone just staring at a child or they just tend to stare, that's something to be aware of and and another thing that that perpetrators will do and this is more of a group setting you know they may talk openly about sex openly Mm. about nudity you know they may you know something for parents to listen out for if they notice an adult commenting on a child about their development or Oh, you know, look how she's developing or wow, she's really growing up or wow, she's really, you know, filled out. Those are things because no child should be sexualized in that manner. And so they use those tactics to desensitize not only the kids, but the parents. And if a kid hears this perpetrator talking about these inappropriate things with other adults or in a group setting. They think it's okay. They're more likely to engage in the conversation, more likely to trust this perpetrator because they were allowed to speak about those things in an open forum for everybody to hear. Um, Something else, if you notice someone is touching your child a lot and they, they particularly do it in your presence, If you have a friend that every time they're around you, they're like, come over here and get to your child. Come give me a big old hug. Or they're, you know, or they put their arm around them or they touch their arm a lot. Or if you notice anyone with their hands on your child in any way in front of you, and it's a consistent thing, you want to be aware of that because that is a perpetrator's way of desensitizing the child to their touch. And when they, See that the parent is okay, with that person touching them, they feel they will be more vulnerable if that touch escalates. Right. So there are so many, there, there are so many different tools that we can look for. So many red flags that we can, that we can look for. And it's, we just have to be mindful of. That we don't see this behavior from a friend, a family member and say, oh, that's okay. Cause that's a friend or that's a family member. Right. That's when it's not okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not okay anywhere, but right. it's never okay. Any type of that behavior around your child is a red flag. And, you know, I hate to say it, but especially family, yeah. especially family, because we tend to trust family so quickly so mm-hmm. oh, that's my brother that's my cousin that's my dad that's my grandpa they would never right? but sadly it happens and you know one thing I need to correct right away because I realize I keep mentioning men who have you know the mm-hmm. fathers the brothers but we need to you know make it very clear that there are also women abusers out there mm-hmm Mm-hmm. women need to be watched just as closely as men do and and so to never just automatically assume that your child is safe because it's a woman you yeah. can't assume that about anybody until you really get to know them you know their history you know you know how they grew up you know their healing you know how they've recovered um all of those factors you have to take into account when protecting your child. Yeah, that's a good point
1: because I do believe that there are women who have preyed upon people that I've known, um, mm-hmm. um, men or they were boys when you know in growing up and you know, and to the point where you know peers would say things like, "Oh, come on, you wanted it," or "Oh, yeah, it's hot," or and I think they're the that's a, that's a huge problem that we, we should not just dismiss that because we have to assume that men or boys want this from another woman. Right. The,
0: the big thing that I, that I say about that is this, boys and girls are equal in the sense that consent happens at the same time. No boy or girl has the right to consent to sex unless they're 18. If you have a boy who was approached by an, uh, an older woman, uh, it doesn't make them masculine for them to lose their virginity at a young age. Right. Can we just say that? Yes, we can just um, say that. Yes. Uh, because so many times I've heard, Oh, well, he lost his his virginity early, so he's, you know, he's this big man. I'm sorry, you just celebrated your child being abused. This is what I want people to hear. Mm -hmm. If you have a teenage boy, 14, 15, 16, 17, and they've had sex with someone 19, 20, or older, your child was molested. Your child did not just lose their virginity at an early age. Your child was molested. And the woman who did that is a sexual predator. Mm-hmm. And we have to bust this myth that somehow boys have just, you know, they have to get out there, you know, as soon as they can and, um, and start having sex. It's, that's what's creating this huge problem in society of sexualizing women is you have these boys being celebrated for sexualizing women by having sex early when really they are just being abused. And now they're saying, oh, so that's what women are for,
1: right?
0: That's another act. They're acting out their own abuse in the ways that they treat the women in their lives. Uh, Bingo.
1: Yes. I know that there have been, um, people in my lives, um, friends in my lives, whose parents or father actually found someone to have sex with them Oof. to lose their wow. virginity. Wow. And I don't even know if those, those, those same friends know that that was a problem or if they think it's a problem now, or if they're even dealing with issues from that. But, um, yeah, they they're, they're it's 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 weird and it shouldn't and that's not okay
0: right it's not it's not okay it's not okay at all um boys um have the right to grow and develop uh naturally um the way that they're supposed to without this forced sexualization that seems to happen with the boys it's you know they they have their you know, their first girlfriend when they're, they're toddlers and they're like, Oh, go kiss your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it starts that young though. Right. You know, it's like, we can't do that because you're teaching. That's your, everything that you do and everything that you model is affecting your child, you know? Right. So it's just so important that parents understand that their boys don't deserve to be abused and, and encouraging them to be sexually active is encouraging and condoning their abuse. Right. Uh,
1: It was interesting the other
0: day on the playground, my daughter,
1: um, she has a friend um, who she's really close to, he, she plays baseball with him. And one of her other girlfriends was like, Hey, Olivia, your boyfriend's here. And I, I was like, okay. And so my daughter said, don't say that to her friend. And then I talked to her afterwards. I'm like, do not let other people say things like that. If, that's right. it, you know, she was like, I was just, I, I'm just glad that, you know, so-and-so didn't hear it. And I'm like, but I'm glad you told your friend that that was not okay. That's right. And you need to be able to tell that to anybody. Even if we say something like that, that bothers you like that, I mm-hmm. want you to be able to tell us that that's not okay.
0: Absolutely. Every mm-hmm. child has to have a voice. They have to be able to speak their truth. And by her speaking out and speaking up is a testament to how you have raised her to use her voice mm. that she doesn't have to accept that so good for you mom good for you <laughs>
1: well, this is kind of, one of the generational cycles i was trying to break because i did yeah. not have a voice as a child that that's was right. one thing that was you know i'm 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 30 I'm 37 years old and i'm still trying to find my voice so i just did not want to make that a big deal for my daughter i wanted her to just have her voice so right. Um, yes, that was extremely important to me. Um, But I do want to ask, when should we suspect or when should someone suspect that their child may have been victimized? And how do we talk to them about that?
0: That's actually very important. Um, There are a lot of signs and symptoms that children will display if they've been abused. Um, Change behaviors. You know, if you have a a really mild man or child and, and just all of a sudden they become very aggressive or anxious or depressed, we need to kind of dig in a little bit more and find out what has caused that, that behavior change. You may notice um, these kids will start self-harming. And this is something that I have to say, and I, and I am going to say this with as much enthusiasm And (laughs) as I can, self-harm behaviors, I have heard so many people say, oh, they're just doing it for attention. Mm. Guess what? You're right. They are. They are crying out for help. They need your attention Mm -hmm. if they start self-harming. That is a cry for help. It is Absolutely. not something that someone does just because they want, you know, someone to feel sorry for them.
1: Right. They need help. They're they asking for it. Need they're hurting it. themselves for to you. show
0: you how much they're hurting.
1: Right. Exactly. I mean, I I I self harmed. I Mm self-harmed a lot and, you know, my parents were like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Look what you're doing. You're messing up your skin. (laughs) Like they just completely brushed it off. Like it was no big deal. Um, But I was screaming, screaming deep down inside for help. So, yes, if your child is self-harming, do more than just brush it off or put a Band-Aid on it because there's something
0: bigger happening inside of them. That's right. That, you know if a child doesn't want to be around a certain person or people if you notice um your child loved to go visit their friend so-and so and then all of a sudden they don't want to go there anymore you need to ask yourself why what happened that now this person that they enjoyed they no longer want to be around mm-hmm. how do we
1: talk okay. to them about that though that's
0: well, you know, it, it starts young, it starts in the home, and it starts as simple as telling them and making sure that they know what their rights are, what is okay, and what is not okay, as far as, um, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as. touch as far as um, when to know that something's not right. So for instance, what I say, what I, what I mean is this. You want to teach your child no person has the right to touch your private parts. No person has the right to make you feel uncomfortable. No person has the right to ask you to touch their private parts. Mm-hmm. It is as simple as that. I know it does. I, I say simple and maybe it's not as simple as I think it is, but <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's them understanding that they, no one can look at their private parts. No one can touch their private parts. No one should ask to look at their private parts. No one should ask to touch. And it's just starting from within the home as young as possible. And that's why I say not forcing your child to hug someone is starting the process of telling them and teaching them about this and how to be, how to protect themselves and how to speak out if it does happen to them.
1: Absolutely. There's actually um there are kids books. There's one book called don't hug Doug because ah. um, Doug doesn't like hugs. Um so there are definitely age appropriate books out there for um for children even my son had um I, I don't know he one of the, his first books within the first year was um it was a book about consent f- for boys I think that's what the title mm-hmm. was Book of Consent for Boys um and it was great it was just like no means no you know you can tell people That you, that you are uncomfortable. Basically being able to share when you're uncomfortable, you can say something and you should say something and you should keep saying something
0: until someone believes you. Yes. Yes. That's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, another thing um, when I was being abused, one of my abusers would buy me clothes, um, give me money. You know, they would always bring toys for my brother's, um and they would just freely give my parents money like mm. like it was a handout you know so that's something else if there's a person in your life that is being freely really generous <laughs> oddly generous <laughs> oddly generous um that is buying clothes for your kids or toys um that's not okay. That's, that's weird. (laughs) That's weird. And I know a lot of people would be like, Oh, that's so nice to have somebody in the kid's life. That's going to do that for them. No, no. That's what the parents are there for. That's the Mm -hmm. parent's job to make sure that they have money, to make sure they have clothes, to make sure that they have toys. It's not someone else's responsibility. Um, absolutely. You know, and, um, some other symptoms that I think are really important. If your child has starts uh, displaying regressive behaviors like bedwetting or thumb sucking, mm. that's another indication that something could have happened. Um, and again, this goes back to what we were talking about, about acting out and engaging in reckless behaviors. You know, if your child who normally wouldn't even get on a bicycle because they were afraid to fall now wants to ride a motorcycle hundred miles an hour down the road, we have to wonder what's occurred that right. now they want to be risky. Um, and this goes for boys or girls, but if, you're, if your child complains that it hurts when they're sitting, mm. riding a bike or going to the restroom. That's, you know, if they have pain, that's something else to be mindful of. And so there are so many signs and symptoms and so many ways that, that kids, you know, try to, that they, that they react to this abuse, but it's also, and I, and I kind of said this in the beginning, but it's also important to remember that sometimes your child's behavior won't change at all and that was me when i was a child i didn't self-harm when i was a child i didn't self um uh i didn't bed wet i didn't thumb i wasn't sucking my thumb um i kept going back to places that um where people were abusing me um and Anytime anybody saw me, I had the biggest smile on my face. I was never depressed. I was always happy. And so that's something else. If you see a child that is just unusually happy all the time, you know, no child is happy all the time. No child is perfect. No child, you know, is never going to argue with their mom. No child is never going to create friction with their, their dad. I was. I'm going to be the best girl that I can be so nobody knows what I'm doing because I was blaming myself. Nobody knows that I was doing these bad things, not realizing that it was the people that were doing the bad things to me. Mm -hmm. So that's something else to keep in mind is, you know, your child's behavior may not change at all, but you still have to be mindful of these other Factors, these other um, red flags, yeah. the perpetrators, who they're around. Yeah. It's just be mindful. And I think it's
1: safe to say that always keeping that line of convert, like open dialogue with your child is also safe to just let them know that they can come to you for literally anything and you will
0: believe right. them. And that's. That's just it. It is so important that if a child does disclose abuse to you, when they do, that you say things like, I believe you. You tell them, I'm so glad that you told me. And it Mm -hmm. took a lot of courage for you to tell me. You make sure they know it's not their fault. And you let them know that You're going to work together with them to get the help that they need. And that, unfortunately and sadly, you will have to tell some other people in order to protect them. And that it's not something that they can just keep, you know, because sometimes kids are like, I'm going to tell you, mom, but you can't tell anybody else, right? Mm -hmm. The kid has to understand that the mom can't continue to keep the secret that the child wants to keep. Right. The parents have to then... Be honest and say, "Well, we'll see. we've got to get you some help." Yeah,
1: we need to yeah. first that take care of you.
0: Absolutely, oh.
1: mm-hmm.
0: absolutely, because that's the that's just the first that's the first step. Yeah. It's just taking care of the child because doing so you could really prevent them from living um, a life of a lot of hardship, a lot of emotional turmoil a lot of pain, a lot of self-sabotage behaviors. Um, There's so, there's so much. And I know that you know this. There's so much that survivors deal with Mm -hmm. from nightmares to flashbacks to just the feelings of guilt, blame, shame, everything that, that comes with it. And we have to prevent this from continuing to happen to our children we have to protect our children we have to talk about child sexual abuse and stop hiding behind the topic and being afraid to talk about it um because it's important and because i think uh, because many people don't want to talk about it it right. kind of perpetuates this thing that um of the the survivors staying silent that they're story doesn't matter they don't matter what happened to them doesn't matter and we need to change that because it does matter it does a hundred percent it does because
1: these these things that happen when you're a child they have lifelong consequences until you're able to get the help and we don't want that for our children Um, no because it it took a long time for me and it, it took a long time for you to to realize that there's something better than PTSD and dealing with the ramifications of the, this abuse. So right. I think that we absolutely it is okay you you need to get the help. You can't heal this on your own if you are um, a sexual abuse survivor. Find find someone to talk to at the very least and then there's a host of, you know, ways to heal. Um, and you know, I, I, I constantly talk about them, um, but seek out help. Number one. Yes. Um, Yvonne, is there anything that you would like to add before we go?
0: I just want to thank you so much for having me on. And, uh, if anybody would like more information about my memoir or anything, um, I do have a, an, a book tour coming up that I'm very excited about. I'll be traveling. Um, uh, all over the, the, the country to California, Texas, you know, all over the place. Um, so you can find those details at www.theinvisiblegirlmemoir.com.
1: All right. Yes. And you can also click on that fortune cookie there to get to that website. Um, Yvonne, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. That was Yvonne Sandamir, certified mindfulness coach and author of The Invisible Girl. For on Yvonne, visit my website at tstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. And again, you can also click on that fortune cookie and that'll take you straight to her website. She has contributed to March's issue of Authentic Insider, which you can find at my website. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider Magazine in your inbox monthly. You know, we are taking a break next Thursday, but we will be back the following Thursday, March 31st, when we go live on Fireside with Michael Gagliardi. He's the author of The Devil Take the Hindmost, a true story of terror. And you'll be you've been listening to A Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast on Fireside Chat. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Take care.